0: So, as Matt said, my name is Paul. Uh, I'm the service pastor of this evening service here, uh, and you guys made a great choice tonight, because in my humble opinion, this is the best service of uh, all the Cardiff and Yard services. So you're here, it's amazing. Um, we're taking a break from the Gracefield Community series that we started uh, that we started last week, and so I'm preaching just a one-off message tonight. Um, and I just I want to begin by saying, that I love. Hearing stories of lives transformed by Jesus. Twice in the last month, we've watched a video of four people's lives who've been changed by Jesus through this church. Uh, If you've not seen that video, jump onto our website. You can find it there. It's on the I'm New section and it's beginning on our social media as well over the next few weeks, so you can catch it there. But I'd really recommend it. I love that video because it encapsulates why we exist. We exist to see lives transformed. And wonderfully, you know, those four stories are just the tip of the iceberg. You know, it's like We've got so many, more, so many more stories across each of our services at both sites. We have story after story after story of life transformed. So let me tell you another story of a life transformed. I asked Julia, who, um, who's leading worship tonight, uh, to, in the week, to sort of tell me her story. And this is what she wrote. These are her words. So life before Jesus. Well, for me... That was 32 years worth of life not knowing him or wanting to, for that matter. 32 years of highs and lows. 32 years of dealing with disappointments and self-doubt. 32 years worth of striving for love and acceptance and placing my hope and reason for being in relationships and even in motherhood. Only to find out that time and time again that these things would never, never fill the void that I felt in my life. Then... 32 years in, everything changed. At a time when my life was particularly broken and I was on course to self-destruct, I found myself on a date with one of those preachy Christians. And suddenly, Jesus was on my radar. And in a bid to prove said preachy Christian wrong, I read and researched and read some more to gather more evidence to strengthen my case for no God and no Jesus. But instead, with each day, I came closer to realizing the truth that Jesus was and is who he says he is. Now, five years in, wow, what hasn't changed? It's amazing to know that I am loved and accepted as I am, that Jesus is for me, and that ever say so gently, he continues to challenge me and change me, but always reminds me that I don't have to do any of it alone. I now know that true forgiveness can only come from him, and through his spirit I have made peace with those that have hurt and disappointed me. And no longer look to carry that bitterness or punish myself for life's inevitable failures. Jesus never gives up on us and will be found when we truly search for him. I am living proof of what can happen if a seed is sown in the most skeptical of hearts. Let us not underestimate the impact we have when we passionately, authentically, and faithfully share about Jesus. What a story! What a story! And I I know Julia well, and it has been amazing to see her life change over the last five years. It's been amazing to see the way that she has pursued Jesus. And that is what we're after, a life transformed by Jesus. If you've got a Bible, open up to Romans 10. We're going to be looking at verses 11 to 17 this evening. If you don't have a Bible, as Matt said, you can grab one from downstairs. They're totally free. Um, if you don't have one with you, they'll come up on the, the words will come up on the screen behind me. Uh, you can also download one from the App Store. Either is totally fine. Um, and if you're not sure where Romans is in the Bible, it's about three-quarters of the way through. So either scroll there or open up about three-quarters of the way through and you'll find it. So Romans 10, verse 11 to 17, and I'm going to be reading from the message translation. It says this, Scripture reassures us. No one who trusts God like this, heart and soul, will ever regret it. It's exactly the same no matter what a person's religious background may be. The same God for all of us, acting the same incredibly generous way to everyone who calls out for help. Everyone who calls help God gets help. But how can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? And how is anyone going to tell them unless someone is sent to do it? That's why the scriptures exclaim, a sight to take your breath away, grand processions of people telling all the good things of God. In Julia's story, it was a preachy Christian on a date. But someone felt that they must tell Julia about Jesus. And she would not have come to know about Jesus had that person say, hey, I want to tell you about him. You know what, if I asked each of you tonight, to tell me about your journey of exploring faith and exploring Jesus, I'd be pretty confident that most of us in this room would be able to think of someone who told us about Jesus, who prayed for us, who invited us. You know, maybe that was a parent or a grandparent dragging you along to church when you were younger. Maybe it's a friend, a mate. Maybe it's someone on Instagram or YouTube. But someone you have connected with and heard about Jesus. Someone played a part in you hearing. And Paul is saying here in the passage in Romans that if we want to see more stories like Julia's, more stories of life transformed, the people that we know and love coming to know Jesus, then we must go and tell them about Jesus. We must go. The tagline of our church is restoring the city and renewing the nation. One life at a time. We must go and tell our friends about Jesus. Invite them along to things. Pray for them. Love on them so that this city can be restored and this nation renewed. Let me paint a picture of where our city and our nation is at, and I'll warn you, it's not a pretty picture. There is a loneliness epidemic sweeping across our country, and earlier this year, Theresa May appointed the UK's first ever Minister for Loneliness in response to it. A government commission back in 2017 found that loneliness is as harmful to our health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And in January of this year, a comprehensive study by the University of Madrid was published which analyzed data from over 77,000 participants and found that loneliness is a consistent risk factor in all-cause mortality, regardless of age, regardless of gender, and independent of other factors such as depression. The BBC found that loneliness and isolation can, cause, uh, can increase chances of premature death sorry, by up to 33%. And I met with Cate's counselors uh, about 10 days ago, and one of their primary concerns is the loneliness of people living in the city centre. And then last week, a BBC study of 55,000 people found that more than 40% of people between 16 and 24 felt either lonely or very lonely, more than any other age group. 40% of 16 to 24 year olds. Around half of you in this room are in that age bracket. Our city is desperately lonely. Some of you in this room are desperately lonely, and that is not okay. That's why the value of being a graceful community that James and Jen spoke about last week, that's not a nice idea. That's a life-changing reality. I was with with my nephews and niece last weekend. Uh, They live in London, and they're 11, 9, and 6. And I don't want them, when they get to my age, to be living in a lonely society. I don't want them to be desperately lonely. I don't want to pass on the legacy of loneliness to the next generation. We must go. But you know what? That's just loneliness. What about mental health? Year on year, there has been a rise of mental health issues across the nation. Professor Dame Sue Bailey, who's the uh, former president of the Royal College of Psychiatrists, said this, the UK should brace itself for a tsunami of adults with mental health problems unless urgent action is taken to help today's young people crazy. Anxiety in people in full-time employment, not part-time, not unemployed, anxiety in people in full-time employment has risen by over 30% in the last, uh, last four years. What about living conditions? In Wales, a quarter of all people live in poverty. And when you look at children, that figure rises to a third. A third of children in our country live in poverty. That's on our doorstep. You know what? I could go on and on and on. But hopefully you get the picture. Our city needs renewal. Our nation needs to be restored. And you know what? Those statistics can feel really overwhelming. But the reality is behind each one of those numbers is a life. And a life that's waiting to be transformed by the hope of Jesus. It's our workmate, he's suffering with anxiety. It's our course mate, he's suffering with depression. It's our neighbor, he's desperately lonely. And it's when we go and we encounter them and we're like, hey, do you want to go for a coffee? Can I bring you around some lasagna? That suddenly we start to break the break the cycle of loneliness. And then we can say, we can then start to give them the hope that we have in Jesus. We must go so that those individuals can be transformed by Jesus and those statistics can change. I don't know about you, but I don't want society to stay the same on my watch. I don't want to get to 60 and find that 80% of young people now feel lonely. I don't want to get to 60 and find that now 60% of adults suffer with anxiety. That's not Okay. We must go. We must go because the nation is broken. Because this is happening on our streets. We must go because if we don't, as it says in verse 14 of the passage, how can they hear if nobody tells them? We have this amazing hope. How can they know if we don't tell them? You know what? As I look at our nation and as I you know, research to find those statistics, I was just sat there and I was like, We need Jesus. Cardiff needs the gospel. It needs the kingdom breaking in. But you know what? We could so easily come to church tonight. We could sit in the peas, we could sit in the chairs, and we could look outside to the city and be like, how broken are you guys? Man, you're so lonely. But the painful reality is, if each of us were honest with ourselves, we would quickly realize how broken we are. Let me, um, let me tell you a story that, if nothing else, will dismantle any allegiance that I have it all together. Say, so about uh, three or four months ago, I, um, I was in the process of closing a business down and was moving from working part-time with church to working some more days with, um, with church. And you know what? There was about, about probably five or six days where I was having a bunch of critical conversations and, you know, they just didn't go as I was expecting. And I was suddenly caught in the middle of closing the business down and moving over to work for church, just totally not where I expected to be. And if I'm honest, I was really frustrated. I was really annoyed. I felt really disrespected. Uh, and it was no one's fault really other than mine. But rather than process it healthily with the Lord in prayer and then like, speak to my wife and speak to my small group and my friends, I just bottled it up. I just didn't, didn't talk about it to anyone. And it was just this frustration deep within me. And then uh, I think it was a Wednesday, I... Um, <laughs> I walked, walked home from work, got home, came through the front door. No one was there, which was a good thing. I closed it, walked down the hallway into the kitchen, and I just stood by the sink. And I just, it was really embarrassing. It definitely loud enough for neighbours to hear. I was just like, what the duck? <laughs> Obviously, I was not talking about an aquatic bird. <laughs> and so, I'm there, I'm by the sink. And then I, just, I walked through into the utility room, and there's... Um, these bags of soil and rubble from work I'd done in the garden on the weekend. And there's this big Ikea sack. You, know, you guys know, like, the big blue ones? So there's one of those just full of soil. And I look at it, and I bend down. And just, with, just once, just smack it really hard in the side. Which felt great at the time. <laughs> but then I step back, and I looked. And I was like, oh, man, I've torn it. And it just, soil was <laughs> pouring out onto the floor. And I was like, man, this is the only bag I've got to put this in. Um, and I was there, and you know what? That is not the most extreme of stories, is it? But in that moment, as I stepped back and looked at the soil all over the floor, I felt really embarrassed. I felt really ashamed that I like I'm the worship pastor of a church. And yet here I am in my kitchen and my utility room, shouting, what the duck, and hitting a bunch of soil. Like, I was just like, man, that, that was my response. And so there was this embarrassment, and I, I just took it to the Lord, and I was like, Lord, forgive me. I'm broken. I need you. You know what? I know that none of you in this room would have had moments like that, because you're all wonderfully perfect. But if you took long enough to look at yourself, to think back about the last week, to think about the, back about the moments that no one sees and maybe the moments that you wish that no one saw, we would realize pretty quickly that we are all broken, that we are all sinful. You know what? It might be for you. It might be your selfishness. Maybe it's anger. Maybe Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's materialism. Maybe it's lack of integrity in your workplace. Maybe in a relationship. Maybe lack of integrity in university. Maybe it's the way that you're spending your money. Maybe it's the way that you're engaging with your sexuality. But there's something there. What is it that's that's happened, maybe in the last week, maybe in the last few weeks, that makes you realize you're broken? What reactions have you had that make you go, oh, you know what? Actually, that wasn't very healthy. Earlier in the book of Romans, in chapter 3, verse 23, Paul the author, says this for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all broken. Paul tells us that none of us are immune to sin. And you know what? As I'm talking about this, and I'm telling that story of me punching the rubble, some of you will be here and you'll be like, I know that I'm broken. I know that I'm really sinful. Maybe you wouldn't use that word. But there's just this deep awareness that something's not right. Maybe you're carrying shame. And you just like, you're like, I know I need help. And there'll be some of us here, here, if we're honest with ourselves, We don't really think we're that bad. We look at our life and, you know, maybe for us it's that we haven't committed what we think are the bad sins. Which, like for us millennials growing up, we were just told don't have sex and don't get drunk. And so we're like, oh, we don't do those things. We're great. And so we're here. And maybe maybe you're like, I don't know that I really need Jesus. And then, you know what? There will be some of us as well that are here and we don't feel like what we're doing is actually wrong even though it goes clearly against the teaching in Scripture. Maybe we're here and we think that we're right and God is wrong. You know, fill in the blank for whatever it is for you. Maybe it's like your political position. Maybe it's how you're treating people of the opposite sex. Maybe it's what you're doing with your money. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's how you're engaging with sexuality. But you're there and you're like, oh, you know what, God, I know that your word says this, but... I actually think that my moral code is right, makes me feel good, everyone else tells me it's okay, and so you're here, and you're like, I do not actually know that this is even wrong, so which one are you, where are you at tonight, are you aware of your sin and your mess, are you unaware, or dare I even say it, are you just disobedient? What does it look like for you tonight to come with humility before Jesus? What does it look like for you to acknowledge that you need a Savior and to receive that Savior? Because at the heart of each of us, there is a sin problem. We are all broken, and we are broken sinners in desperate need of a Savior. We all, each and every one of us in this room, need our lives transformed by Jesus. And see, the reality is, as I talked about the broken society that we live in and gave those stats, and as we recognize that each of us are broken, we can look to things to fix them. But what's going to sort those out, what's going to transform us, is not another government initiative. It's not joining a club or society. It's not getting further in our career. It's not finding marriage or parenthood. It's not getting into a relationship. It's not, you know, list it. It's none of those things. Each of those things are great. And we should want more of them, of course. But the thing that transforms us is Jesus. And when we realize this, there's such joy and freedom to be found. Jen, who leads our church, she puts it like this. The more we recognize that we need a Savior, the more the total joy we have in realizing we have one. It's the life-giving, liberating realization of grace. The more that we recognize we need a Savior, the more the total joy we have in realizing we have one. It's the life-giving, liberating realization of grace. See, it's only Jesus that can bring peace to our anxious minds. It's only Jesus that can give us the true hope that we need to lift ourselves out of depression. It's only Jesus that can fully break the chains of addiction. It's only Jesus that can fill people with grace so that they can love anybody unconditionally and offer them the grace that destroys loneliness. It's only Jesus that can look at each and every single one of us in the midst of our mess and say, hey, I chose you before time began to be my child. I don't care how messed up you are because I died for you so that you could be free because because I love you, because I love you, because I love you, because I love you. Let me transform you. Because as we recognize we need a savior, We realize we have one. And then we find the joy. Because it's like, man, Jesus, you're so good. I loved worship tonight. Just our affection, our devotion poured at the feet of Jesus. Declaring that he reigns. That's the Jesus in his goodness, and his kindness that is our savior. Remember what Julia said in her story. She had spent 32 years of her life looking to lots of different things to try and fill the void that was deep within her. And it was only until she started looking upon Jesus that she realized he was what she needed. What have you been looking at? Where have you been focused to try and find value to fill that void? What does it look like tonight for you to fix your eyes upon Jesus? Each week, um, my small group, we meet on a Thursday and we reflect on uh, the Sunday just gone and we... um, discussed the the preach and what was said, Um, so I'm hoping that they are going to be gracious with me, Uh, but we, obviously, last week, we met, and we spoke about um, being a grace-filled community, and as we discussed it, we were talking about how, actually, very quickly, we are the opposite of a grace-filled community, that we realize, you know what, we are super quick to judge, that we're really, really quick to hold people up to a set of expectations that we have on maybe how they'll behave or what they'll look like what they'll say, whether they do the right things. And that's a problem. Because as the first part of the passage we read today says, Scripture reassures us, no one who trusts God like this, heart and soul, will ever regret it. It's exactly the same no matter what a person's religious background may be. The same God for all of us, acting in the same incredibly generous way to everyone who calls out for help. Everyone who calls out help, God, gets help. It's exactly the same, no matter where they've come from, what their religious background is, whether they have one, whether they have none, this is good news for everybody. Because if we in our sin and brokenness, if you and I can look to Jesus and say, help God, and we can get help, then you better believe that the person sitting next to you can as well, even if you think they're a lot worse than you. And the painful reality is sometimes we do think that, don't we? It's for everyone. And that challenges me and that gives me hope. John Wimber, he founded the vineyard, he puts it like this. No one is saved outside of the gospel, but no one is outside of the gospel's power to save. You know, that gives me such hope. That gives me hope for my family who don't yet know Jesus. That gives me hope for my friends that when I look at them, I'm like, you guys are so far away from being in a position to trust Jesus. Jesus. At least that's how it looks to me. It gives me hope that the people that I love will have their lives transformed by Jesus. But it challenges me because the painful responsibility is, as it says in verse 14, how can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? We must go. We must go and tell them. And that is the challenge tonight. We must go. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. So, who are those people for you? You know, for me, it's my brother and my sister in law. It's the, the friends I lived with at uni. It's the guys I used to play football with, guys I used to work with. Those are the people I see that I'm still connected with. I'm like, I want you to know Jesus. So, who do you know? Who comes to mind when I ask the question, who would you love to see come to know Jesus? Maybe for you it's your parent or it's a sibling. Maybe it's like your housemate, your housemate. Like It doesn't matter who it is, but who comes to mind? Who needs Jesus? One of the biggest barriers to people coming to know Jesus, coming on this adventure, is that we, us in this room, we say no on their behalf. We say no by never giving them the chance to say yes. We say no on their behalf because we never invite them to meet Jesus. See, unfortunately, you know, I said just then, for me, it's the guys I lived with at uni. I think back, and man, I shied away from talking about Jesus. Like, they knew I was a Christian. If, like, if I'm honest, they kept me more accountable than my, Christians did, because my Christian friends did because we'd have like a house party and literally the first thing that they would do to introduce me to their friends would be like, hey, this is Paul, he doesn't get drunk and he won't have sex with you. <laughs> and so it's like, oh, cool, well, this is like, if I do that, I'm going like, to have hell to pay from you guys. So, it, you know, and I love them so dearly. So like, I still go, like, a few of them, we still meet up every, every six months, we go surfing for the weekend and we have a blast. But I think back on my time at uni, and I've been graduated a few years now, I really shied away from telling them about Jesus. Like They knew I went to church. They'd ask about it sometimes. I didn't ever really invite them. I did a few times. I said no on their behalf. That's not cool. Some of you will know James and Jen, uh, our senior pastors, you'll know their story. So they met in the first year of university, uh, a few years ago. And Jen wasn't a Christian. James was, but Jen wasn't. And they met and they started talking and obviously liked each other and that kind of stuff. But James eventually invited Jen along to, to something and then she explored faith. Imagine if James had said no on Jen's behalf. Imagine if he'd never invited her to an alpha course. We meet here today, 10 years after they planted this church, I think it was like another 10 after they were in Nottingham, because James let Jen say no, and she didn't. Think about the kingdom impact that has happened because James offered Jen the invitation. He gave her the choice. We have seen dozens upon dozens upon dozens of people baptized in the 10 years that we've been a church. We've seen countless lives transformed. You guys are in this room because of their yes. Their yes to plant in the church, but way back in the day, James's willingness to say, I'm going to let you decide. Do you want to come along? He didn't say no on her behalf. You know what? When we talk to people about Jesus, it can be really daunting and I'm not really going to go into any detail of how we do that. I'd love for you guys to explore that in your small groups, with your friends, talk about how you can do it. But one of the things I just want to give you is when you do it, let's not just give them information, but let's give them invitation. Because invitation leads to transformation far more quickly than information does. When I was at uni, I was okay at giving information to my friends about like what the church was doing and that kind of stuff. I was really quite poor at offering invitation. See, when we give an invitation, we no longer say no on their behalf. We let them say no. And you know what? They might say no. If they want to say no, let them. Their yes isn't your job. It's not your job. It doesn't matter. Oh, they say no. Okay. And you know what? If you're really worried, if you talk to them, see, like, you've got a friend, they don't know Jesus. If you're worried about talking to them, If you talk to them, and at the end of it, they still don't know Jesus, well, they're in the same place where they started. But at least you tried, right? That's not bad. Just give it a go. Billy Graham, the famous evangelist, used to say this, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, God's job to judge, and my job to love. Their yes is not your job. Your job is to love them. And if you love them, you'll invite them. So what does it look like for you? What does it look like for whoever came to mind when I asked that question a few minutes ago of who would you love to see come to know Jesus? What does it look like for you to invite them? Maybe it's a Sunday service. I'll be honest, guys, for a lot of your friends, it won't be. This is quite a daunting thing to come to if you're exploring faith. That's just the reality, and that's okay. Maybe it's the Alpha course we've got starting in a few weeks. Maybe it's just to the pub. Maybe it's to the pig and jig. As Matt was talking about, the whole point is that we want to invite people in. And you know what? If you're worried about that, it's not like a secret hidden agenda gospel preach that the big and jig. We're not gonna get them in and be like, hey, there's a whole grace, but also do you know Jesus? <laughs> We're not gonna do that, it's okay. You know what? We are gonna throw a party because Jesus loves to party and we love to party and we think that Christians should be the most fun people. It is just gonna be a blast. That's what it's gonna be. So invite them to that, buy a ticket, tell them that you're like, hey, I've bought you a ticket and dinner, come along. Now look, I don't want this to be a message that we talk about here on a Sunday night, and then we wake up tomorrow morning and we forget about it. So, guys, grab out your phones. Some of you have already got them out. I'm trusting that you're taking notes. Um, what I want us to do is, I want us to set a reminder. So, I, however you do it, either a reminder or set a calendar thing, I want you to set something for tomorrow. And I don't really care what it is. Maybe it's the people's names that you thought of earlier. Maybe, maybe you're like, I actually, no one came to mind. Maybe it's just that you need to ask the Lord to give you a heart for the people around you. But write down something and then set it to remind you, whatever time works for you tomorrow is like 8 a.m., 9 a.m., midday, 5 p.m. It doesn't matter. And then get that to recur all week. Because what I want to happen is I want when you go tomorrow, because the reality is, guys, we come on a Sunday, we hear hear a great or an average talk, and then we go home on Monday, and a lot of the time we don't think about it, do we? That's one of the reasons that our small group started reflecting on the Sunday um, talk, because we knew it's so easy to forget it. So what I want you to do is when you get that reminder, pray for those people. Think about what you could do. Maybe drop them a text and say, hey, do you want to meet for coffee? Or, hey, I've bought you tickets ticket to this great thing. Do you want to come? But invite them. Do something with it. Don't leave tonight and be like, oh, great. Okay, cool. I'm just going to leave it there. Leave tonight feeling like we must go, that you must go, that your friends need to know Jesus. Because the reality is, like for you guys who are students, 40% of your friends feel lonely. So if you have four friends, one of your friends is going to be lonely. So reach out to them. Like, they ain't think, oh, like, I don't think they really care. How do you know? When I worked in the corporate world, I made a big thing of making sure that I was going to go in and be good at my job and I wasn't going to be one of those preachy Christians. Um, but I was like, I'll be open and I'm going to talk about it. And I remember feeling, like, really sure that no one would want to know. I was like, you know what, I'm open, I'm willing, I'm going to chat about it if they want to. But I didn't think that anyone's going to care. You know what I found out? almost all of them were really interested. Really interested at the fact that I went to a church that had mostly young people in it. That had a, like, a band that played the worship. That it wasn't on an organ. And, and that's not to knock those things. And like, we, I love that our church has loads of age ranges. Like, we've got from like, probably three or four days, I don't know, someone was probably born this week, right through up into like, the 90s. We, like, I love everyone in our church, but I love that our church is full of young people. The age range that is lacking from so many churches. And they were amazed. They wanted to know. So, you've got that reminder. That is amazing. But you know what? The goal isn't, I want to make this clear the goal is not that you'd invite people to Pig and Jig and that Matt and I and the team would sit back on the Monday morning and be like, wow, we've got a great event. How cool are we? Like a few hundred people came. That was fun. That's not the goal. And the goal, like, we've gone multi site as a church. Some of you who are here for the first time won't know, but we launched. A site in the north led by Ian and his wife. And it's an amazing site. I know I say this is my favorite, and it is. And I think this is the best. But the others are great too. And their site is amazing. Um, we did that. We don't want to become a bigger church for the sake of it. I'll be honest, I couldn't care less about Vineyard Church's fame. Don't care. I don't care if in 50 years' time no one remembers that we were a church. You know, someone moved to London, they didn't remember our name. I care whether they met Jesus. And we've gone multi-site to create space so that we can bring them in, that we can invite them, that we can put stuff on so they can have their lives transformed. That's the goal. The goal isn't that we can just be like, oh, amazing, yeah, we had a few hundred people, that was great. It's like, no, it's that we had a few hundred people whose lives could be transformed. That's the goal. That's what we want to see, and that's what I want each of us to carry. Guys, as, a, as an evening service, time at, and for those of you who are students, your time at university can be one of the most evangelistically fruitful of your life. It's a time where loads of your friends are exploring what they think and who they are and whether they believe what they believed growing up. This is an amazing opportunity that you guys have as students and you must go and tell them about Jesus. Because what if they said yes? And what if they went, what if they went and planted a church that saw hundreds and hundreds of people come to know Jesus? That set up compassion projects that reached the poor? Wow, how amazing, you know, what if they just came to know Jesus? That would be amazing enough. And then we're amazing at their job. You know, guys, because the, the church, this isn't, like, the main thing. It's not like this is spiritual and then out there when you're a doctor or you're an accountant or, like, you work in a supermarket or a coffee shop, that that's not spiritual. That is. All of our life is worship. So that is what our friends, our friends could have that. The goal is that your friends who are desperately lonely, whether you know it or not that they would find community, that our neighbors who are de- battling with insecurity and addiction, that they find freedom, that those who are feeling hopeless find hope. The passion translation of Romans 10 puts it like this in verse 14: "How can they hear the message of life if there's no one there to proclaim it? We must go so that they hear the message of life why don't you guys stand